We are in the Gospel of John. We've made it to, to uh, verse 9 in chapter 1. And so let me just kind of carry over what we did last week into today. So last week we ended in verse 5 um, that this light and life of men has shone into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it or comprehended it, okay? And so that's the, the theme of those first five verses, that the, the word, the logos was God, was with God, uh, and all things were created through him, and he has become the light in the life of men. Now today, John is going to carry that theme forward into verse nine, uh, this idea of Jesus, the logos, being the true light. And so we're going to start in verse nine together. John writes, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Or you could translate that, recognize him. So John's pulling those same thoughts forward. Jesus, the Logos, is the light which has come into the world and given light to everyone, which is where we're going to end today, was coming into the world. And then he says something strange. He was already in the world, right? So it kind of creates this, this paradox of sorts. So the, the Logos, the light, was coming into the world, yet the Logos was already in the world. And what John is saying is he's talking about where we left off last week, that the creator of the world stepped into the world to become the redeemer of the world. And so Jesus has been right in the position of creator since creation, right? And so the world, right, has had the opportunity to know him through what he has created. Yet at the incarnation, which we'll talk a lot about next week, is where Jesus, the creator, steps into his creation. He incarnates into our world and he walks among us as this light and this life of men. Now, Romans chapter one, uh, Paul talks about this as well. I'm going to start by just asking a few questions about who God is. So how do we know who God is? Think about that. How, how do we know who he is? Well, it begins by thinking about the kind of things he does. What kind of things does he say? How does he react to things, right? What, is, what, are his, what are his emotions? What are his ambitions? And as we get to answer those questions, we get to know him, right? So the knowability of God, how knowable is God? There are a lot of people in our world today who would build the case that God exists, but then stop short of identifying him. Guys like Jordan Peterson, maybe listen to him. He's um, really intelligent psychologist, travels the world and does a lot of speaking. He builds a robust, powerful case for the existence of God, just looking at empirical data. But then he stops short of identifying God, giving him a name, giving him character. And, 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 and so they would conclude, what, then you just need to go out and find your own way to whoever God is for you. But God exists, right? But we can't just pin him down with a name or an identity, and so what John is writing here is that this true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, right? And everything was made through him yet. And here's the important word, yet. So even though everything was created through him, yet the world did not what? Didn't recognize him. Didn't know who he was. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul's writing about the knowability of God. In verse 19, he writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Well, that's interesting, right? So God, through his word, is saying to us, what can be known about me is actually plain. 
It's not quite so mysterious. It's not hidden from you. Look at what he says. Because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So twice Paul says it, right? It's plain. It's clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The they is essentially humanity. Right, so since the creation of the world, who God is has been clearly perceivable, plainly known, plainly revealed. In what way? Through what he has created. So that all men are without excuse for saying, I don't know who God is. Take it a step further as part of creation, we were created in his image, right? So not only do we have creation, right, that bears testimony to the eternal power and these invisible attributes of who God is, but we're image bearers. And so we should be able to see a little bit of who God is in looking at who we are. And it should tell us something about who God is. Yet, the world still did not recognize him. That creates a sense of absurdity, right? That which was created did not recognize he who created him. Okay? And this is what John is getting at in this summary in verse 9 when he says this light has given, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, but here's the problem. The world did not recognize him. Now, last week we talked about the light shining into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome or comprehend the light, and it makes sense, right? You have a dark room, you turn on a light, you put a candle in there, and the darkness will never win, right? Now, you can't take a lit room and push darkness into it and make it dark, but you can take a dark room and push light into it, and every time, light wins, right? So we talked about last week how when Christ stepped into our world to become the light in the life of men, he stepped essentially into a world that was steeped in darkness, Right? The testimony of the world around us is that something isn't right here. It's broken. There's a certain level of darkness around us. We see it in news headlines. Right? Another sh- shooting, another bombing, another plane comes down, another a case of scandal or abuse. or right? you just, The list goes on and on, bearing testimony to this reality that you and I exist in what Ephesians 6 describes as this present darkness. But here's the problem. If you take any person in this room, right, you step into a room and you make it dark, and somebody walks into the room and flips the light on, you can't not see it. You with me? Even if your eyes are closed. Right, parents? It's how we wake up our kids. When the light comes on, not only does the light win every time, you can't not see it unless you are what? Blind. So this darkness that, that the, the, the light, the true light is stepping into is not just the world around us externally, but there's also what must be this internal darkness creating a spiritual blindness. That's why the world didn't recognize. You with me? So even though his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, we are out without, to the extent that we are without excuse when the light stepped into the world, even though the world was made through him, yet he, we did not recognize him or comprehend him. So the darkness problem is not just an external problem, it's an internal problem as well, right? Unless he gives me eyes to see, 
I'll not recognize him. Unless he gives me ears to hear, I won't recognize his voice. Let's talk for a minute about what happens in the world when we don't know God or we can't see God. Well, what follows is, is incredibly tragic. We see uh, rampant selfishness, self-centeredness, hopelessness, depravity, uh, malevolence, brokenness, right? The list just goes on and on. Nothing good comes, right, from a world that doesn't know God and can't see God. Are you with me? Now, I think what's even worse than those list of, of that list of things is the idea that then we begin to call things God that things that are not God. Okay? And this is dangerous, and this happens in the church. Well, God led me to do so and so. Now, God leads and he speaks, but we have to be careful what we call God. And I see it a lot, like in counseling, where somebody says, Well, um, you know, you're trying to give biblical counsel. Well, I just, I prayed about it and then I had a peace. So you're telling me you prayed to God and said, should I do this or not do this? He gave you a peace and the thing he gave you peace about actually violates his word. So God changed his mind? Right. Right, so, you, but you see the problem, right? So, so we mistakenly call peace something else, right? What, what, what potentially could be going on is a seared conscience, right? Like I no longer feel convicted about it. Yeah, because the conviction ran out and the heart's becoming what? Hardened. Desensitized to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, God, I just prayed about it and God led me to do, to do this. And, and, and I know what the Bible says, but, but he really gave me a piece about it. And we call things God that aren't God. That's the same thing as taking his name in vain. Imagine from God's perspective. I didn't say that. I'm not going to touch that with the 10 foot pole. I didn't do that. That's not me. That's your flesh moving. You want to know what I say? Read my words. You want to know what my voice sounds like? Like, listen to me speak. These are the kinds of things that I say. So it's not that God does not want to be known, right? The problem is the darkness of our own hearts keeps us in spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness, so that we don't recognize the voice of God. And so this is what John is talking about. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize or know him. Now, verse 11, this, this becomes even more tragic. Verse 11, what John writes is this, so not only did he come into the world, the world didn't know him, but he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So what John is referring to now is the nation of Israel, right? So you and I as just human beings should have recognized God. Why? Because we were created by him, created in his image. But the nation of Israel, they had the Old Testament. They had the, the, the things of God written down for them. Right? God told them, what? This is who the Messiah is. This is what he will look like. This is what he will do. And so, like, if anybody should have recognized Christ, it should have been the nation of Israel. Yet he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Let's talk about the front half of that. So, um, I'm at the, some of you are as well, like, I'm at the age where I'm far enough removed from high school when I see people that I went to school with. Sometimes it takes me a minute. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and, I, and I grew up about 20 miles west of here, so I still, I run into people I haven't seen in 20-something years. And so, and my kids are getting used to this. My boys will go through, the other day we were in Home Depot, and we were checking out, and the, and, the, and the lady was being real friendly. How are you doing? Good to see you, you know? And she's asking questions like she knew me. And my boys are like, who is this one? We walk out in the parking lot, and they're like, you went to school with her, didn't you? Like, what was her name? I think I had a class with her. I don't know. A few nights ago, we were picking up dinner to go at a little uh, restaurant, uh, here, and walked in. And there was a, a, a security sheriff's officer on duty kind of at the place. And, and I, looked, I, was, I looked at him. He looked at me. And then it becomes awkward. Right now, you're like, you're committed. Now I got to say something. Because <laughs> I was, you know, if you're looking at somebody from a distance, they don't see you. You can think about it. But when they're like right there and, he, and we're like, oh. Oh, Ryan. He's like, Jason. Like, yeah, I didn't, didn't quite recognize you at first. He's like, yeah, you had more hair and less gray beard when you were in high school. Like, right. So, so we, right. So there's this kind of limitation to when we rec- how we recognize people. And over time, right, it becomes less and less accurate and reliable. Okay. Now that's not what is being described here. When, when the Bible says that he came to his own, that could have also been translated his own people or even his own home. Okay, so like last winter, um, I went out to uh, preach a funeral for my granny and out in West Texas, drove out there and helped my cousin. We preached the funeral. And so um, before my granny passed away, my father passed away about three years ago, right? So he was not at the funeral. And there were a lot of people there who I had never even met. So it wasn't like I hadn't seen them in 20 years. I'd never met them, never seen a picture of them. They'd never seen a picture of me. Yet at the funeral, my granny's cousins and second cousins were coming up to me and they were quickly identifying me. And what were they saying? You must be Jerry's son. Never met you before, but I can tell you're Jerry's son. See, there's something different about Ken, right? There's something that's just inherently recognizable about somebody you're related to. You can have not seen them for 20 years or in some cases ever before, and yet we'll recognize our own. And this is what John is saying. Like not only did the world not recognize Christ, he came to his own, like his kin, and they should have recognized him, but they didn't. And then he uses this word, receive. They did not receive him. We talk about that in church, oftentimes in evangelism, receiving Christ. And I think it's important to stop and really talk about what that word means. What does it mean to receive Christ? Well, this word in the Greek language is not simply that I'm over here and you throw something to me and then I just catch it. This is the idea of taking hold of something, receiving it. There's a proactivity of the receiver, right? So it's like you hand me a Bible, I reach out and I take it from you to take hold of him. So not only did they not recognize him, they didn't take hold of him. They didn't receive him in in that way. This is the same word that Matthew uses in his gospel uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, uh, quoting Jesus, and whoever does not take, receive his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So we're talking about receiving Christ, we're talking about taking hold of Christ, right? Latching on to him, wrapping, wrapping ourselves around him. And so we talk about receiving Christ in that way. And so not only did they not recognize him, they didn't take hold of him. Now this is going to take us to verses 12 and 13, which is where we get to the good news of the gospel. 
And so even though creation, the world, humanity, did not recognize Christ, his own people didn't receive him. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now remember we started in verse nine, this light and life that has come into the world, John calls him the true light, which gives light to whom? Everyone. And here John is saying, here's the good news of the gospel to all who receive him. How do we receive him? It begins by what? Believing in his name. He has given the right to become children of God. He is making those who are not his own, his own. That's awesome. Now, I've not fully experienced this, but probably the closest thing I've experienced this outside of relationship with Christ is when I got married. Okay, so like um, my in-laws, for all of their um, um, less than um, desirable qualities, um, just want to paint a real picture here, right? They're real people, they're in-laws. However, the thing that um, has blown me away since day one is the way that they just took me in. The way that my wife's dad treats me like her son. Um, the way that my mother-in-law knows what my favorite food is and the way she loves to bless me by, by cooking me a big chicken pot pie. She treats me like, like her own. And even, even more powerful than that, when we believe in Christ, he makes us his own, yes. his own kin, yes. children of God. So he says, but to all who have received him, taken hold of him, and who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he says this, who were born. Now this is where we're gonna start to get into this idea of being born again. We'll pick this up in a few chapters more, in more depth. But here what John is talking about, what he's writing about is those who do recognize Jesus as the savior, the Messiah, the son of God, and, and receive him by taking hold of him and believing his name, right? are adopted into his family. He makes them his own. And, and here's what happens inside of Remember the darkness problem? Remember we have this darkness problem that keeps us from seeing with spiritual blindness. And what does he do? He then, he what? He gives us new birth, new life. This idea of being, yeah, you've been born because you're sitting here. The only person sitting here who hasn't been born yet is in a mother's womb. There may be somebody here, but the rest of us have been born. So we're talking about what? Being born again, right? And so he says, not, not of, of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Remember we talked earlier about calling things God that aren't God. So don't mistake the voice of your flesh for the voice of God. It'll lead you astray every time. And here's what John's saying. It'll never lead you to redemption and salvation. It doesn't. You've been born again. That's not by your will, not the will of the flesh or the will of man. Whose will? God. He did this. He came to you. He opened the eyes of the blind. He softened the hardened heart that we might do what? Receive, take hold of Christ and be adopted into his family and be born again. Romans chapter 10, 13 reiterates this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. So one of the mistakes that um, the church has made over time, um, and I've been a part of a church like this before, I actually came to Christ in a church like this, and, and it's a well-meaning 
um, uh, you know, process, but in the end, it can be misleading. This idea that if you, okay, you want to be saved? Here's what you need to do. You need to get out of your seat when we sing this song, and we're only doing three verses, so you got to move quickly. Come to the front, <laughs> pray with the pastor, and if you'll repeat these words after me, you're saved, right? And then what happens is they w- walk away from that thinking that's it. And we talk about what? Receiving Christ, making Christ our savior, inviting Christ into our hearts. And that's not quite what's being described here, is it? No, what's being described here is that your spiritual eyes have been opened and you can't not see the light. And you're like, whoa, that's Christ? I want that. I want to take hold of that. Now, walking to the front and praying with somebody can be part of that journey. Don't, don't hear me say that that's not, can't be part of that journey. That can be part of that journey, but that's the first part of what? Taking hold of Christ. Really receiving Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And here, Paul, like I just read, he writes, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, cries out to the Lord. I want to just share with you, um, and I, I didn't ask for permission, but I told him I was doing this. So last Sunday, if you were in this service, we um, had the opportunity to watch baptism. Um, you guys have a picture? Uh, this is Billy and his son, Cole. Um, captured a beautiful shot of this. Yeah, if you were a part of this, it was super sweet, super awesome to see dad baptizing son. Just that, that passing of faith from one generation to the, to the next. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, but in the testimony that Cole shared, he talked about how early on in life, like he struggled to understand who he was his identity, and he got a lot of his identity from what people thought of him, because maybe he was smaller or whatever. He wasn't, he didn't fit in. He wasn't worth as much, and it wasn't until he began to find his value in Christ and realized, oh, Christ is also my creator. He created me just how I am. Like, I'm the perfect side, right? Just how I am, Christ created me, right? That he began to do what? Find his identity in Christ, not in the world. And there are two versions of this. There's, this. there's the positive and the negative version. You know, what I just shared from Cole's life is the negative version, right? Not finding your identity in what has happened to you, maybe tragic, unfair, unjust, abuse, whatever has happened to you, right? Not latching your identity to that. You with me? But also there's a positive side of that in the sense that not, you also, on the flip side, aren't finding your identity in success, what you're good at. This is who I am. This is what I'm good at. Don't take this away from me. It's all I know. It's who I am. And Christ would say no to both people. You want to receive me? You take hold of me. And when you take hold of me, listen, listen, I flip your identity. It's not who you are anymore. Well, who am I? You're in Christ. Who am I? You are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. You see how your identity is rooted in who he is, not who you are or what has happened to you and just really appreciate um, Cole's courage to get up in front of us and not only proclaim his faith in Christ, but just to share that part of his story. I think so many of you were encouraged by that. So we're going to end here today by walking through this again, verses 12 and 13. So what does it mean uh, to receive Christ? Well, it begins with believing in his name. Okay, that, 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 again, taking hold of, trusting in his name, which means then invertedly, I've got to begin to let go of other things, right? I can't, I can't find my, my strength and my purpose in my job and with one hand and then my strength and my purpose in Christ and try to, to hold on, right? For a season, they may go the same way, but eventually they're going to go different directions. So I've got to let go of the things of this world to take hold of Christ, and so believing in his name, taking hold of Christ and letting go of trusting and believing in other things, 
It also means becoming a child of God, taking hold of your new identity in Christ. Inadvertently means what? Letting go of finding your identity in other things, whether it's positive or negative. And then finally here, this idea of being born again, taking hold of your new life. How many Christ followers saved, struggling, reading the Bible, trying to pray, trying to walk with God, and they're just struggling, struggling. Why? Because they're not walking in new life. Your eyes have been opened. You You can see now, right? God has shined a light for you. He's opened your eyes so you can see and you know who Christ is. You know who Christ is. So taking hold of your new life and slowly but surely putting your old life to death. Mortifying the flesh. Putting the old you to death. This is more than walking down an aisle at a church on a Sunday or praying a special prayer. We're talking about taking hold of that which you truly believe in. Finding your identity in Christ. Talking about walking in this new life that only, as John calls it, the true light can provide. Here's here's the strange thing. So he identifies Jesus as the word in verse five that has become the light and the life of men. What are the opposites of those things? Light and life, darkness and death, right? Isn't it strange that inherently hardwired into you as a human being, you are inherently hardwired to flee from those things? to be scared of those things. You don't have to teach a child to be scared of the dark, do you? You don't have to teach a child to be scared of death. Those things, they're right, why? It's hardwired with this. You would think then, right? Then when when we see the light in the life, we would do what? We would run to it. Well, what keeps us from running to it? Spiritual blindness. So what I wanna do now is today, I wanna do something a little bit different from how we end services. Um, if you are in Christ today, you're here and you're a Christian, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me for anybody who may be here among us who is not a Christian. And our job is not to convince them. Our job is not to argue people into the kingdom of heaven. What we wanna pray for is God open their eyes. And so if you are here today and you're a Christian, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Um, If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we are gonna pray for you today. We are. We're gonna pray that what we just read about will happen in your life and maybe even miraculously happen before you leave here today. God would open your eyes to see the glory of Christ and that you would run to him, take hold of him, leave in him and be changed by him forever. As I pray, um, our worship team's gonna come forward. We're gonna have prayer partners at the front and the back like we always do. If you would like somebody to talk with you or pray with you, that's what they're here for. It's not strange. Get up out of your chair, come grab one, pray, ask them to pray for you. If you wanna grab one of our pastors, do that. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we do start by just thanking you for the way that you have become a light into our darkness. God, not just the darkness around us, but the darkness in us. And the way that you have shown this beautiful, glorious light of Christ. And right now, what we're praying, God, is that anybody in this room has not seen that, who has not beheld the glory of Christ and run to him, that that would happen like right now, God. God, by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open spiritually blind eyes in this room. 
I'm so thankful that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that's what we're praying for, God. Is anybody here who has not called upon your name would do that today? So, Father, now we pray as we stand to sing that your Holy Spirit would move through this room and move through our hearts. He would speak to us. He would convict us. He would soften our hearts. He would heal us where we are broken. He would encourage us where we are in despair. He would bring faith to our doubt, God, that you would just move and work in this place. We pray and we believe all these things in the powerful name of Jesus.